Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. If you would find three or four people around you and have this light conversation with one another, what do you want to be liberated from? Enjoy. On April 3rd, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. said these words. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. This was Martin Luther King Jr.'s last sermon on the night before he was assassinated. That what he realized as a leader was, I want to get us to the promised land, but I may not get there with you. That as a community, we've been going through the Torah together, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we see as we got to the end of Genesis that the people of God have been promised the promised land. They've been promised that they would multiply, that these are the things that God said to them, and yet they found themselves in Egypt. And that so much of the story of liberation doesn't always happen in our lifetime or when we want it to happen. But we participate in liberation so that we may experience freedom and so that the next generation would experience even more freedom. And that the story of Genesis is written in that way because it's always inviting us into the next chapter. That the people aren't there yet. And so much of life is that. It's waiting. It's patience. It's watching. And the story of Genesis is this invitation into the story of liberation that's coming. As we get to the book of Exodus, now we have what is the heart of the Old Testament. For many of us, if you grew up in evangelicalism, uh, maybe for you, uh, how you understood the Bible was Genesis and Revelation, and there was just a bunch of stuff in between. I don't know about you, but that's what I got, right? There were some things that happened in a garden early on, and then the rapture, my friends. But for the Jews, and for most of ancient Christianity, Exodus is the heart of the Old Testament. It is the story of liberation. Exodus is the pyrotechnics, my friends, lasers and light shows and fireworks for all. But what's interesting about the book of Exodus is liberation comes in a very supernatural way, but everything before the book of Exodus and everything after the book of Exodus moves us back to the natural. That what God is doing is God is saying, I'll show up in some big ways in this moment for liberation because this is my part. But the story that I'm inviting you into is what is your part? And what is your participation in this story of liberation? So today we're going to think about liberation and imagination. That these are dance partners that work together. That there's a liberation that we want from some things. And as we liberate from some things, then we have a broader imagination for something else. In the last five years, we use fancy language and we call it deconstruction and reconstruction. But they have to go together. They have to be dance partners. If you just live in the world of just liberation from some things, if you just live in the world of deconstruction from some things, and you never rebuild anything, you will live in cynicism. You will just be angry all of the time. And there is a place, an appropriate place for anger because there is some shit going on in the world that you should be mad about and angry about. But that is not your final journey. There is a promised land ahead in which you will rebuild something new, 
in which you will offer a better world for the next generation. And as Martin Luther King Jr. said, I can see this promised land from the mountain. I may not go there with you, but we as a people will get there together. And that is the hope that we are in. So to talk about liberation and imagination, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about evolution. And if we can talk about evolution, then we've got to name some fear. And if we can talk about fear, then there's a bunch of nameless pharaohs in the book of Exodus. And if we can talk about that, then liberation from and imagination for. And then we can talk about Shifraf and Pua, everybody's favorite midwives in the book of Exodus. Give them a round of applause. Yes. <laughs> and if we can talk about Shifraf and Pua, then we'll talk about mutuality. And if we can understand our role in mutuality with God, then we can talk about some risk-taking. And if we can do some risk-taking, then we'll keep things light. And if we can keep things light, well, then, you know, it's a church. Jesus, my friends. So follow along with me in Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, I know that you're already bored, but the book of Exodus is actually really exciting. The end of Genesis is the story about a family who's living into these promises of God. If families can't get along, if families can't repair, if families can't reconcile, what hope is there for the nations? And the book of Genesis is we move from an individual and the story of God gets bigger for a family. And before it can get to an entire nation or people, there's some healing that needs to take place. That's why in the book of Genesis, it's all about family dynamics. It's all about the interpersonal. It's all about the real stuff and the conflict and the difficulty of just what it means to be human with the closest people around you. And that you have to resolve that. If you can't work on these things, what hope is there for Ukraine and Russia? That our healing happens here. And when we can heal here, when we're transformed in these interpersonal places, it changes even the way that we live nationally with one another and the dynamics on a global scale. And so the book of Genesis is an evolution to the book of Exodus where the story gets even bigger. Maybe let's make that a little bit more personal for your lives. It's the story that the Bible is trying to tell us is this. You're always evolving. There's a version of faith that you are given over here. There's an understanding of spirituality or God or Jesus, but that thing must grow. Your awareness of who God is and what it means to be human, your ability for justice and covenant and relationship and all of these beautiful things that we think about, that it will grow and it will evolve. And as it grows and evolves, that's the gift for the world, that the entire scriptures is a story of evolution. Even when you get to the story of Jesus, Jesus will eventually say, I gotta go so that the Holy Spirit can come, right? The story of Jesus is no longer about even the reconciliation of one people group. It's a story of reconciliation for the entire cosmos. So whenever someone says something to you like, you're on a slippery slope there, all this deconstruction, or you're just you know, changing the word of God, you're like, I'm just following the Bible. The story has always been getting bigger, even from our earliest versions of our narratives. The story goes on. 
Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. If you remember again back to Genesis, this was the promise that God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the matriarchs is that you will have children that be more numerous than the sand on the seashore and more numerous than the stars in the sky and you will live in the promised land. So the narrative is trying to connect us to something else here. Uh, If we were watching the Marvel Universe, we'd be more connected in, you know, we're following all the little thread lines and there'd be the little thing at the end of the movie where he connects you to the next movie that's coming up. That's kind of what's happening here. This is the end credits trying to catch you up for what's happening with Avengers Endgame or something like that. All right? So it's connecting you to the larger narrative of scripture and what's going on. So half of the story is complete, but the other half of the story is still missing, that the people are not yet in the promised land. Now again, this needs to be a story for you. This is not a story of 3,500 years ago about people going into the promised land. If that's all that we were talking about, well then you could just go take a history class. This is a metaphor for your spiritual journey. You are evolving. You are growing. You are growing in your ability to reconcile, repair, become healthy as a human being. And as you do that, as you transform, then you become more mature and you will offer that narrative to other people as well. That's the invitation in Exodus. Exodus also recognized that you will need to be liberated from some things in order for you to continue on this journey and to offer a larger imagination for the rest of the world. So don't let this be a story that happened thousands of years ago. Let this be a spiritual metaphor that is happening in your life as we speak. And the narrative goes on. It says, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. And it's always power dynamics. The Bible is endlessly interested in power dynamics. Who has power and what do they do with that power? All of the prophets, all of the Torah, and Jesus are desperately interested in who has power. There's a reason that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, one out of every six times, the people he's speaking to are the rich and the religious because they don't need God. And so Jesus speaks to them because sometimes when you're powerful, you miss the opportunity to be connected to God because you don't need faith. So this narrative is connecting us to this larger tradition that we're a part of. Look, this Pharaoh said to his people, the Israelites have become far far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifraf and Pua, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The story is saying this, that sometimes when you evolve and when you grow, the powerful will become fearful of you. This is just a normal thing that happens among humanity. And as we mature and as we grow, hopefully we fight against some of these things. The shadow side of conservatism is always fear. And again, I don't mean this politically. Conservatism is in the name. You are conserving something because it is working for you. Generally, it's working for you because you are powerful. So you live in fear when things change because you want to keep things as a status quo because it's working for you. 
That's why in the United States right now, there's a lot of people trying to conserve a certain way of life because it's working for certain Americans. And on the other side of things, there are people trying to be progressives or progress because that is not working for their lives. And we're going to speak about the shadow side of conservatism, but just so you know, the shadow side of progressivism is anger. Not anger in the good sense, anger in the let's just burn everything down and not rebuild anything else back up. There's always a shadow side to these ways of life, and neither are the option. They're a part of our evolution and development, but there's always a third way of being that Jesus invites us into. And so Pharaoh in this narrative is conserving something because he has power, and he does not want to let that power go, and so he wants to oppress the Israelites. In this story, what we see is that there is a story of liberation coming. And so we need to be liberated from some things. In this narrative, we're trying to be liberated from Pharaoh. Here's what's interesting about the narratives of the scriptures. Pharaoh is never named. If you went to grad school like I did and got an MDiv or have a biblical studies and theology major and have a lot of theological debt that's worth really nothing in this world like me, (laughs) then you read a lot of commentaries because you're bored and sad. And so (laughs) it's fine. It's what I do with my time. And the commentaries are always debating, well, who was the Pharaoh? Was it Ramesses II in 1340? Was it really this debate over here? And you're just like, guys, stop, stop. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that Pharaoh is never named because it's a story for everybody. It's a story that there will always be new Pharaohs in your life and you have to name them. You have to name the oppressors that are there. You have to name what you want to be liberated from. Maybe you want to be liberated from toxic views and theology about God. Maybe you want to be liberated from toxic relationships in your life. Maybe you want to be liberated from an addiction. Maybe you want to be liberated from your addiction to social media or technology. Okay, here we go. Let's preach it. Maybe you want to be liberated from a personal relationship that's painful. Maybe you need liberation so that you can find boundaries. There's all kinds of things that we want to be liberated from. That's your Pharaoh. And as you evolve and as you grow and as you have new thoughts, the Pharaohs in this world will oppress us and they will repress us and they will try to fit us into a certain box to conserve a way of life that we may no longer fit into. How many of you have evolved and you've grown in your understanding of God and then you've gone home with a smile on your face trying to tell your family about Richard Rohr at the dinner table and how did it go? I'm not saying that your family's Pharaoh, but some of you have been in those moments where you're trying to find freedom, you're trying to find a broader imagination for the world. But as you've evolved and you've grown, not everybody's ready for your evolution. And then there are just real things that are incredibly painful, pharaohs that do oppress us and hold us down, and we make no sense of those things. And so this is a story that invites us into finding liberation from that. And as we find liberation from something, then we need a broader imagination for something and what that might look like in the world. I know that for me, I've spent 15 years of my life in 12-step rooms because I'm trying to be liberated from an addiction. And part of the reason that you move into sobriety is that you need enough time to clear your mind so that you can have an imagination for something bigger, that you can see that there's a broader world out there, that you go into these 12-step rooms and you have other people share their stories so that you have hope about where your life can be, that you get to hear that, oh, they've been there too, that I am not alone in this world. 
I don't have to live in all of the shame. I can be worthy and accepted, and I can surrender, and there can be a different hope for my future. There's an imagination that's being provided for us. The great leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. and all of the other great leaders that you can think of, they provide an imagination for people to go somewhere. Part of what we're missing sometimes in society right now is people, to, we need great leaders to help provide us an imagination for where we may go. We just don't need continuous political infighting and just beating each other up until everybody and bloody to a pulp. That's not an imagination for society. I don't ever want to be a church where all we talk about is liberation from some things, and we just sound cynical and angry and mad at evangelicalism all the time. How does that provide an imagination for us to go somewhere? We'll be good at shitting on people. Well, what's that going to do for you? And I think COVID was a gift, because in COVID, when we're all alone and we're all sitting by ourselves, there's a moment where everything is just exposed for every single human being. And when we're sitting there exposed, it brought out what was good and what was bad. And as things have been exposed, I think it's an opportunity for people in our community who are working through things to say, oh, all of the things I'm deconstructing are good, but I need to reconstruct some things because when I'm sitting here lonely and figuring it out and I don't know what's happening in the world, I need God. And I still want something to connect to. I still want a relationship with something. And so we need an imagination for something larger. I love that in this story, Pharaoh is not named so that it's universal so that we can all find ourselves in it, but I love that the midwives are named. The Bible is so revolutionary that way. I think we forget it because we live in 2022. That you have to imagine that 3,500 years ago in the ancient world, slavery was common practice among every single ancient empire. And it was a world that was filled with the patriarchy. And it wasn't just patriarchy. There's like three men that get named and then everybody else never named. And there's like three men who get named. They get like pyramids and things, right? But this story is no, 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 no. This is a completely different way of seeing humanity. The revolution here is who gets named? The midwives. How beautiful is that? It's so revolutionary for where the world was at. This thing was thousands of years ahead of its time for an imagination that we wanted for the world. Even in naming the midwives, it was creating an imagination for where we can go. And it was an imagination for of what the Bible has already been saying, that every single human being is made in the image of God. Not just the kings and those who are powerful, all of the powerless, everybody gets named as being a part of the image of this creator. And that means everybody is valuable and worthy. And that is just a lesson in a story that we need to repeat again and again and again and again until it seeps deep within our bones as individuals and as a society. And so Jephrath and Pua have some beautiful pieces to their story that I want to think about. One is simply this, mutuality. Mutuality is a huge part of the Torah. From a Jewish and rabbinic perspective, mutuality is this. And we talked about it a bunch in here as we went through the book of Genesis. There is God's part and there is your part. Maybe you grew up in the world of church and you heard words like covenant. This is covenant language. There are parts that God needs to do in this world and then there are parts that you need to do in this world. And there's a healthy balance into figuring out what that is. Brittany talked about it a few weeks ago, and it's just kind of a common theme that we've had at New Abbey for a long time. Many of us grew up in a world of faith where it was codependence. You just raise your hand, and you say the prayer at camp, and you know, you cry a bunch of tears, and they sing the Chris Tomlin song, and then all of your troubles have gone away. Yeah, I Amen, I missed it too. <laughs> it was so much better and easier, right? You're like, I'm never going to sin again, and then Monday happened. Yeah. 
And it was a real disappointment because that was magic Jesus. That was rub the lamp Jesus. That was codependent Jesus. And that's not healthy Jesus. And there's a lot of fear there. And then guess what? You would have psychological trauma because you would still do the shit. And then you have to keep coming back and you're like, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. There was something really wrong with the story. And then there's the version over here. Progressives and liberals, my friend. We've got it all figured out. We can be woke enough, healthy enough, read enough books, do enough yoga, and wear the right Lululemons people, and all will be okay. <laughs> Praise God. No? Nobody. Just me. Okay. I got a lot of Lulus. <laughs> but this is just sheer independence over here. This is, I will figure it all out. But there's a problem with this story. And the problem with this story is, guess what? You're human. You have limitations. Welcome them. Appreciate them. Know that we will not figure everything out on our own. And the place in the middle, this third path, is always interdependence. That's the mutuality. There are moments where we have to do our part. The story is about Shifraf and Pua, and they're about to go subvert the empire against Pharaoh. And then later on, there's another liberation story that comes out. This is like the liberation before the liberation. We're some midwives who've got some heat, right? Some like old Jewish women's are about to stand up to Pharaoh, which is what I'm talking about, my friends. Like you don't want to mess with them. There we go. Shout out to the one old Jewish woman in the back. I like it. That's good. <laughs> and then the liberation story is God's part where we get all the pyrotechnics. But the story of Exodus is that we need both. And as you think about a broader imagination about what you're moving for, think about what is your part in the story. As you think about mutuality and your part, then we eventually move towards risk-taking. That, As we'll see as the story goes on, risk-taking is a part of the narrative. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby as a boy, kill him, but if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. This is such a revolutionary statement in the history of the world. The midwives said to the most powerful human being that had ever existed that they saw him as a God. They didn't follow his advice. That's huge. They took a risk. They knew what he was saying was wrong, and they didn't follow down that path. In the Nuremberg trials after World War II, there was this phrase that was created called crimes against humanity, in which in those trials, people would say all the time, we were just doing what we were told. And in those trials, we told people, that is not an excuse for doing evil. That there are moments where we need to be liberated from some things. Because it's not an excuse for hurting ourselves and hurting other people. We should be gracious to ourselves. But there are moments where we gain boundaries and we gain health and we say, it's not the right decision. And we have to take risks. I know for me that when I lived in the world of addiction, it's scary to take a risk and to admit that your life is powerless. Do you know what it was like for me to admit 12 years ago on a corner in Glendora to my wife that I was having affairs on her? I don't deserve an award for that. But it was terrifying. It was a terrifying moment where you take a risk because the risk that you're taking is, I deserve to lose everything. I have not honored any of my part of this relationship. But if I don't take the risk towards the right thing, if I don't really live into this type of mutuality with you, then we're never going to have a broader imagination for what our life can be because I'll stay hiding and I'll remain in secret and I'll remain in shame and I will just destroy our lives. And that's not the thing that I want. There's a moment where we all want to be liberated for something. We're going to have to take a risk as we move towards an imagination for something bigger. And it might cost us something. The civil rights movement 
cost people things. That if we want real liberation in the world, it will cost us as we grow and as we evolve. And the story goes on. Then the king summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. If you haven't found a life verse, you are welcome. I will find the Hebrew and you can get that tattoo next to your whatever agape Greek thing or whatever you got on your arms already. I went to Africa my freshman year of college. I don't know. Some of you went to evangelical college. I'm laughing with you because I did it too. It's fun. I think the power of liberation in a new imagination is you got to keep it light at times. There's so much to be angry about. The world is a hard and oppressive place. And at times when we can keep it light, there's so much power in that. There's power in levity. There's power in laughter. I love Brittany Barron because she has this incredible ability to keep things light. She's a gay black woman in the United States in the 21st century. There's just an experience that she has walking into the world that I do not have, that I have never experienced. And despite her experience of just existing in this world, I remember one time I told her about my experience of being here at New Abbey as a straight white man who like founded and created a community, by the way, of like sometimes I felt uncomfortable and she's like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And she was so gracious how she said it. But she's been in churches her entire life where she's felt uncomfortable. And this was my first time. And she didn't say that to attack me. It was a powerful sharing of an experience of, she was in a church as a woman. And just, you know, historically, church hasn't done a good job there. She was in white evangelical church as a black woman. And historically, the church hasn't done a good job there. She was a pastor at a church as a gay woman. And historically, the church is still not doing a good job there. <laughs> and it was a gracious moment where I got to learn some things. And despite all of that, she just has an ability for levity and lightness that I think that she can teach some of the deepest truths in the world. And she can be righteously anger, angry and frustrated, and she can present something different because she holds that levity, and it creates space for everyone to participate in the journey. So as we think about the things that we're being liberated from, as we have a broader imagination of what we want to move for, would we think about our part in it? Where is your part in the mutuality of this story? Trust that God will do God's part, but then what's your part? How can you grow? Depending on what the Pharaoh is that you're trying to move away from, do you need therapy? Do you need a conversation? Do you need to be honest with some friends? Is it finally that time where you let people into your life? Do you need a financial advisor? Uh, do you need to talk to a pastor? I don't know what the thing may be. What is that opportunity for you to participate in mutuality because this is your one shot at life? And would you do it well? And to live under liberation is not a narrative that we want for any human being. And we have resources and we have ability. Would you risk take? Would you be bold? Would you take an opportunity to step out into something? That as you participate in mutuality, as you find health, as you find maturity, would you risk take for the sake of others? That as you experience freedom, don't hoard that freedom to yourselves. Go risk take on the behalf of others because they're going to need the freedom that you have to offer because maybe they're not in a place right now to risk for themselves. And as you do that, let's be frustrated. Let's be angry. Let's be mad. And let's find levity where we can. Let's find joy where we can. Let's find hope where we can. Let's find beauty where we can. Let's name wonder where it's at. And let's subvert the empire in that way. I think it's an invitation that will welcome more people in and will bring a lot more healing on the narrative that we're all about. 
And so finally, Jesus. This is the Jesus narrative through and through. Jesus comes to liberate us from some things. Generally, how Jesus speaks of it, Jesus comes to liberate us from sin. This is not the evangelical version that you are given. You're not being liberated from sin because you are this wretched human being and there's a holy God who's angry at you who needs to kill his son to feel better about you. That's a weird story that you should throw away quickly. Yes. Thank you. There's a story about sin that Jesus talks about because Jesus is a pragmatist. How do I know Jesus was a pragmatist? He's a rabbinic Jew. And that means he cares about practical things. So Jesus doesn't think about sin in some obscure way that God has some magical list. Are you able to keep it or not able to keep it? And if you don't keep it and you eat shellfish, then you're going to be tortured in hell for all of eternity. Again, weird story. No, Jesus cares about sin from a very practical way. Sin is just simply this. Hurt people hurt people. When you're hurt, you just keep hurting other people. When you find healing, the hurt stops and we stop transmitting the hurt in this world. That's why whenever Jesus would find somebody in sin, whatever that means, it just means this. He found them hurting. And he came to heal them and to make it better than he found them. And so he would say, go and sin no more. He'd say, let's heal the hurting so that you don't leave here and go hurt new people. It's that simple. Jesus wasn't doing some magical thing so that Jesus wasn't always just concerned about where you go when you die. Jesus was concerned about this reality now. And if we can be liberated from the ways that we hurt ourselves and others from this reality now, imagine what the world can look like. And that will require participation. No magic genie rubbing lamp thing. You know what the words I'm trying to say are here. There's an invitation for you. And the imagination that Jesus gave us for something, Jesus would call it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And this wasn't an afterlife conversation. This was a now conversation. We don't speak in that way anymore. We would say it like this. Jesus gave us the healthiest reality possible. And so Jesus didn't just expect you to make up some conceptual imagination. Jesus showed you. I was having this conversation with my kids the other night. And, you know, I'm a pastor and a dad, so we're just talking about stuff and God. And my kids were asking me something about God and, like, these mysterious things. I'm like, isn't that amazing about God, that God's mysterious and endlessly interesting and we don't have it all figured out and that we know God because of Jesus? So tell me about Jesus. Well, they're like, oh, well, Jesus is kind. Then my one son said, Jesus does like mind-blowing things. I'm like, oh. And then eventually later he says, and Jesus is lovable. I said, yeah. So I said, that's, then that's true about God, that God is kind. And that God does mind-blowingly amazing things. And that God is lovable. How many of us think of that version of God? Ugh. And then I said, but the great thing about Jesus is it also tells us who we are. So what does that mean about you? And I could see the lights go on. I'm kind. I do mind-blowingly amazing things. I am lovable. That is an imagination for us, my friends. That is what we're moving for. And so, New Abbey, this week, may you be freed from your pharaohs. May you liberate yourselves and participate with God in the mutuality of liberation for your life. Would you find freedom for your life, not only for you, but for those that will need it down the road? And as you find liberation, as you choose health, as you find that therapist, have that conversation, invite somebody into the places that you want freedom from, deliberated for, would you have a broader imagination for where you might go and who you might be, the relationships that you might have, the jobs that you'll take on, the ways that you'll live into the world? Because if it's true of Jesus, it's true of you. Would you find those same three or four people around you and answer this question with one another? What do you want an imagination for? Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.